The following is a production of Different Brains. Visit us at differentbrains.org. Hi, I'm Dr. Hackey Reitman. Welcome to another episode of Exploring Different Brains. And today we're lucky to have with us, coming all the way from Denver, Colorado, the big cheese, the head of the U.S. Autism Association, Marlo Thurman. Marlo, welcome. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here, Hockey. And thanks for all you do for those of us with different brains, because you've been at it a long time. Why don't you introduce yourself properly along with your degrees and your titles and what you're doing and how you got yeah. there? Yeah. Well, Marlo Payne Thurman, um, I am an old school school psychologist. I got my first degree um, as a school psychologist and I've worked as a school psychologist in private practice for a lot of years. Um, about 10 years ago, I made the decision to go back and get a second kind of doctoral level degree, got a PhD in special education because I really wanted to teach, but I didn't want to teach assessment. I wanted to teach the teachers. So I went back and got a PhD there. Um, taught at the University of Northern Colorado for a while, in addition to my private practice work where I do assessment, advocacy, consultation, that kind of stuff. And then, um, as you know, Lackey, we had about four years ago, Larry Kaplan, the president of the U.S. Autism Association, kind of made the decision that he was ready to retire and pass that torch and kind of thought that maybe he'd just close U.S. Autism. <laughs> I was like, wait, 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 we can't close U.S. autism. We have to leave that open. And since nobody else was like, you know, running to the front of the line, I kind of, yeah, I kind of got roped into that or talked myself into that. So I'm actually the new president of the U.S. Autism Association and chairman of the board for that organization, in addition to my other full-time jobs. So it's been kind of a busy year for me, but yeah, that's my background. I would say so. You know, when, uh, when I used to give a keynote out there once in a while for you guys, uh, Larry and Phil DeMeo would always make fun of me because I was the only one out there who'd be on these panels who really has no professional degree in any of this. I just kind of got into this by accident. So they would purposely put me on these panels with real experts and then kind of make fun of me. <laughs> um, I don't know, Hacky, you're pretty knowledgeable. I've, I've heard well, you speak. <laughs> well, but my MD is like an orthopedic surgeon. So I remember one time at the U.S. Autism, you guys must have had a thousand people there. I don't remember if it was on Oregon or where it was. And uh, I was on a panel about marijuana and cannabis, okay? And, they, and Phil was the moderator. And I said, why are you putting me on this? Well, you're an MD. You go, you'll know what to say. And I'm sitting there with real experts. And, uh, um, you know, at the beginning, you introduce yourself for a couple of minutes and and, uh, and everybody's getting polite applause. And the, the guy next to me, who's uh, Dr. Ronald Wong Jin, I think is yeah. uh, nice guy, very and uh, scholarly and all. And he says, well, you know, while it's true that some of my classmates in, uh, at the University of Chicago smoke too much marijuana and flunked out, um, it's really a benign thing and we should be able to use it for seizures and everything else. That was, and so then Phil goes to me going, well, Dr. Reitman, in your vast experience, 
with this. <laughs> Why don't you tell us what you think? And then he said, well, first of all, let me tell this audience that unlike Dr. Ronald Ong Jin and his classmates who smoked too much marijuana and they flunked out, a couple of them flunked out. My classmates and I at Boston University, we all smoked too much marijuana, but we graduated. <laughs> <laughs> well, good for you. Kind of also... like, like Larry always refers to me as the most colorful member of our advisory board. <laughs> I'm like, I don't think that's a good thing, Larry. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I did ap appreciate, you know, and, and say that, uh, you know, I think it should be illegal, immoral, and unethical to refuse these autistic individuals who are having intractable seizures and they can't get better by any other way to at least try them. You know, it's, mm -hmm. This is a few years ago, so... I don't know where exactly is it now with the marijuana and cannabis and everything. Well, CBD is legal in all 50 states, and I'm certainly not the expert. I live in a green state where, um, in fact, people move to Colorado to put their kids on CBD and THC-based products for the treatment, and the, and the Charlotte's Web, which is the strain that they use to treat seizure disorder, um, kind of came out of Colorado. It's a really specialty high, high, high CBD strain that does a good job of controlling seizures for certain kids. And that actually came out of Colorado. So when those laws very first started changing, Colorado was one of the early states that legalized that for children, so. Well, if you guys out there have always been forward thinking. Um, how did you guys adapt and fare through the uh, pandemic? kind of like everybody else. It was a crapshoot, right? Like <laughs> some, some people did really well. Some people really dropped off the grid. Um, I noticed that in my practice, the kinds of kids that really struggled were the kids who had auditory processing disorders. And with that whole online learning environment, these were kids who might've been getting all A's and B's and now they're failing every single class and they can't figure out why. And when you pin them right down, they were never heard the directions. They were always just watching the other kids to figure out what to do. And then they didn't have that other kid group. So the online kids, some of our online kids have done very poorly. Um, in Colorado, we have, you know, some of our families do have some resources. And so they had some nice co-ops that came out of the pandemic in terms of educational co-ops where groups of kids would get together and kind of create a cohort and, you know, kind of quarantine together if anybody got sick but they were kind of co-teaching. And so there were some interesting kind of co-teaching models that came out, but I would say for the most part, the educational system really got smacked and the kids who got hurt the worst are some of our most significant needs to the point that, you know, some of our kids on the spectrum, especially some of our really affected kids were really not even in school and nothing was being done because they couldn't really get online or learn online. And so it was just kind of, and I think by the end of, you know, the kind of a second semester of last, in the spring of this last year, some of them were actually going into special ed classrooms for some of their services. But I definitely heard a lot of those families who really just kind of got shuffled under the rug during the pandemic. And it was unfortunately some of our most significant kids that were already so far behind were the kids who really took the beating the hardest, I think. Well, you know, that lost time. We, we noticed here in Broward County, Florida, Fort Lauderdale, 
like at the Hacky Brightman Boys and Girls Club, um, we really, really stepped up several years ago our summer programs because summertime, the kids would lose a great level or two of reading, you know, right. because in their homes and they're underserved, you know, was, and uh, of course, in the neurodiverse population, they need more, even more than just individual attention. They need the socialization, they need the regimentation, they need to get out of the house. These are the things they're lacking and it's uh, very, very tough times. Tough yeah, and, and you know, a lot of these um, kids were really not even getting their therapies. So their speech therapy, their occupational therapy, some of those, you know, really directed services were really, there was no way to deliver those. And like I say, some schools, to be fair, um, some of the schools did pretty good. Robin Brewer, who's a member of our advisory board of U.S. Autism, she was kind of overseeing some services through Denver Public Schools, and they were actually trying to figure out some really integrative and unique ways of serving kids, even if that meant getting people in their car and driving to the kid's house to provide some services. So there were some really good things happening, but by and large, it's the pie only slices so thin, right? There's only so much money and so much resource. And I think that so many of our kids just, you know, kind of that's, they weren't the squeaky wheel. So they kind of just slipped under the rug. Now you have your big conference coming up and tell us how you're going to run that conference and tell us about it and how people can get involved with it. Absolutely. I'm excited to share. We actually started, by the way, it was all COVID. So we were actually supposed to be in a face-to-face -face conference in Boston. <laughs> so we had all the prep work and legwork done for that. That got shut down. And so then we started kind of an online year long kind of conference model to kind of carry those people who had really registered for the face-to-face -face conference and give them something during COVID. And so then what we did is we started curating content through kind of a talk show style interview, much like what we're doing here rather than presentations. Um, I hate those, you know, stare at your screen, look at my PowerPoint behind me presentations. I think they're awful. So we kind of created a model of online, um, kind of online conference where we're actually going through all of our different speakers and interviewing them and curating video content and editing that professionally so it's nice and clean and we don't have all that Zoom video glitching that we sometimes get. And we kind of just built content. We kind of focused just on building content during the pandemic, because that's something we could all do and everybody was locked in their house anyway, so we could get them recorded. Um, and so what's happening now is we're taking that year long content and some of that is stuff that's been about a, half of it is stuff that's already been up. Um, probably another half of that is stuff that the audience has never seen. And we are selling that as a weekend long three day online conference. We're really excited about that because we have kind of some neat, unique features we've got um, a Voices Across the Spectrum panel that's going to be a live webinar, and that's five individuals who are diagnosed, and they're going to be, we have Teresa Rangham, you've been with her and know that she's an excellent moderator. She's going to share kind of voices across the spectrum and really kind of the questions you never wanted, never knew you could ask a person with autism, right, and get an answer. So it's really kind of just that very dynamic, interactive kind of kickoff, and then we have um, 30 plus hours of, co of conference content that is all kind of packed into these 
you know, two and a half days, we have a special event on um, the second night of the conference that's a diversity, that's talking about diversity in the workplace and kind of really recognizing the need for diversity in all that we do. So yeah, we're just really excited. We've got the, the biomed stuff, we've got the occupational therapy, we've got speech, we've got some really kind of interesting stuff on cognition. Stephen Shore did a really great panel, a series for us that was approaches in autism. And he interviewed all of the kind of key founders in some of these founding methods. So the Millers, he called up the Miller family. <laughs> so on the Miller method, he called the Miller family and interviewed them as part of a webinar series. So we've got Miller, we've got RDI, we've got certs, we've got, you know, kind of this whole realm of approaches in autism from the mouths of the people who are kind of top in their field. And that's a really neat, a neat series because it compares and contrasts those different intervention methods. So really a lot of content. We had a lot of time. This is in some ways maybe our best co collection of content ever because we had a whole year and a half with nothing better to do but get it <laughs> recorded. So now we're <laughs> selling that and trying to get information out about that conference because we really do have some phenomenal speakers, so. Is there anything you'd like to discuss that we have not discussed today, Marlo? I'll share my, my new passion project. <laughs> Let's hear it. Let's hear it. I am working, I'm kind of in a, well, what happened is one of my clients came to me a few months ago and said, I was at a gifted kids conference and was told that Autism and giftedness are mutually exclusive. <laughs> and I was like, really? <laughs> are you kidding? <laughs> and so I've kind of been curating content specifically on this topic of intelligence and autism with the idea that, you know, it's very possible that not only are people with autism not intellectually disabled, even though they may not test well on an IQ test, but it's very possible that we're seeing some relationships between the, the people, you know, families of familial higher intelligence, that those are the families who also have the brother, the sister, the aunt, and the cousin on the autism spectrum. And so I'm in the process of working on a few of those kinds of things. And it's been kind of fun because I've been working with several different people who share this belief that there is some innate relationship between kind of high intelligence and autism, maybe to the point that that becomes the learning style. That is the neurodiversity that sets people with autism up to be then more sensitive and more susceptible to injury and toxins from the environment. You and I've talked about some of that stuff before. So it's kind of my new little, <laughs> my new little shtick is trying mm -hmm. to play around with that idea to dispel oh, the myth of intelligence and autism. You know, what, what I think is, is that you're, you're touching on the spectrum. I don't just mean autism spectrum. No, the whole all, spectrum of neurodiversity. Yeah. And like I tell a lot of our interns that we're mentoring, I say, look, you're a lot smarter than me. I said, that's nothing to be proud of. It's what you do with it. What are you going to mm -hmm. do with it? Okay. If you're going to sit at home and play video games. Right. It's like talent you know let's let's figure out what we can harness what do you like doing and then figure out how to harness them to it and um if you think about it you can usually find something and then they do excel and it's very very uh, gratifying yeah um, if uh, people would like to learn more what website should they go to 
Um, usautism.org. Usautism.org. That's easy. Now, it is easy. What's the one thing you would like people to know about the U.S. Autism Association? Peggy, I think the thing about U.S. Autism that is so special is that it's a family of professionals and individuals who are affected, who have kids on the spectrum, and who truly live and breathe autism. And I think that's very unique in the National Autism Conference world. What do you see as the biggest roadblock to society's acceptance of autism? It's a hard question because I think the biggest roadblock is that it's this whole idea that people, it's okay to be neurodiverse as long as you're working to get better, <laughs> right? <laughs> In other words, your job is to be like us, the normal people. And I think that so many times that's really the problem. It's that the normal people are failing to entirely accept that neurodiversity is a continuum of which we all have a place to live and that our goal is not to be the same. Our goal is to embrace that difference and really figure out how to really support all individuals across the entire spectrum of neurodiversity. Very well said, especially with the so-called gifted individual. They're gifted, their brains are a little bit smarter than mine. Let's harness them to what they love doing or good at doing, what'll help society, help them earn a living and help others. Absolutely, and so much wasted intellectual potential by not really addressing the needs of difference. And so in other words, by trying to normalize you and fix you and make you more or less neurodiverse, like that's even a thing, it's taking, that, that means dumbing you down and making you fit the box. And that should not be the goal of society. Our goal of society should be to capitalize on difference. It can't be one size fits all. Absolutely. Well, Marlo Thurman, thank you so much for being with us today. Keep up the great work you're doing at U.S. Autism Association and come back and visit us soon. Keep up the great work. Absolutely. And thank you so much, Hacky, because I love your work too. And everybody needs to, if you're not following Hacky's work, you need to. <laughs> <laughs>